Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. Two co-hosts, Dustin Smith and Chris Gaines, are with me today. You can follow Dustin on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin and Chris at Mr. Chris Bits. We've got a lot to talk about today, including Gator basketball taking down number two, Tennessee. Finally going to rehash the Jaden Rashada situation. We were waiting until we had some finality on that before we talked about it. We now have that finality. He will play for Arizona State and not Florida, so We'll go through that one real quick because we got to say something about it after putting it off all this time. And we'll talk about the roster as a whole as it stands heading into the spring. But before we get into all of that, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. As always, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends underprivileged and deserving Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Of course, as always, donations are very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it's a veteran-owned business. You can't think of a better way to properly thank those in our country than by giving the business. Number two, it is run by a UF alum and big-time Gator fan. And number three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from In All Kinds of Weather as they produced our new logo and our new website and the new Gator Collective website and the Gator Good Foundation website. And they've still got more Gator-related projects coming on the horizon. If you are listening to this podcast and you need assistance in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And before we get into the rest of what we've got planned tonight, two quick shout outs to Gator Tennis. Number one, Gator men's tennis team taking down FSU at college match day yet again. Always love to see it. Always love conquering those knolls. Number two, shout out to Gator men's tennis legend Ben Shelton on going all the way to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open last month in Melbourne, Australia. No Gator man had ever gotten to the round of 16 at any Grand Slam major tennis tournament event. Shelton, in just his second major tennis tournament, goes all the way to the round of eight, and he's just 20 years old just got himself into the top 50 in the world. Congratulations to Ben on that. Cannot wait to continue watching you rise up the ranks and being a problem for anyone who might have to face you on the professional tennis circuit for years to come. With all that taken care of, time to get down to business. Chris and Dustin are back with us today. I think the place that we have to start, guys, has to be Gator basketball, which just took down number two, Tennessee, on Wednesday night. So how are we feeling about that victory? And what do you think it means for this team moving forward the rest of the year? 
It's it's certainly a big victory and a much needed victory at this point in the season. We're getting into February now. Next month is March Madness. Florida has got to start continuing to get those signature quad win wins under their belt. And this was the biggest one yet. Uh, second consecutive year, too, I believe, where we beat the number two team in the country last year, beat Auburn. This year, we beat Tennessee. And we're going to have a more additional opportunities coming up here with on the road against Kentucky this Saturday and the next week against Alabama on the road. So wins like these have got to continue to stack up. But it was a win we had to have. And, um, Neil, you can definitely attest to this to the listeners. I am on record that says Florida will split the four games between K-State, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama. My prediction is that we beat Kentucky this Saturday to get us to that that split. But I, I had a good feeling that this team was going to respond in, in some way. Just, we always get a win like this every year in the last couple of years, and I, and I felt that this team was good enough to do it. And, and they finally showed up in a big way and, and closed incredibly strong down the stretch. And, and then the last thing I'll add about the team, I think at this point, it's kind of weird how at the beginning of the year we were just scoring at will and our defense was the issue. And it seems now that it's kind of flipped a little bit. It's We really do have some nights where we struggle to score. We really have to gut out some wins kind of in the low 60 range. And, and now the defense, though, has been really stymie against some of its opponents. And last night was – Definitely the case against a very good uh, Tennessee team. Well, I think some of that's flipped because now Florida is playing a lot better opposition. So, yeah, the numbers of points are going to score is naturally going to go down when you're going up against, in, t- in Tennessee's case, quite literally the best team in the country on defense, at least if you listen to to like what Ken Pomeroy has to say. But, I mean, Florida is also rounding into its form now, too. That, like That's the other thing. Florida is getting a lot better as a team. So its defensive effort – earlier in the year just wasn't there. Like against UConn, there was one game in in Oregon where they lost by 30 because the defense just never bothered to show up. It didn't look like Florida was interested in playing defense. And that I think has been what's completely been flipped on a dime. So uh, Dustin, what say you? I know you're, you're very uh, leery of, of what this team could accomplish early in the year, but now you saw, you've, you've seen that win. What do you think? I think Golden's doing a wonderful job. I just really have one word I want to focus on and that's juice. As a uh, former basketball player, yeah, deal. I didn't play high school ball or college ball. I played YMCA basketball. But let me just say this. When you win a big game like that, whether you're playing tiny mite basketball or you're playing for the big leagues, NBA, it just takes one win to give you the juice that you need to be confident. And so I look for Florida to play very confident at Kentucky, and like Chris, I look for Florida to win that game. And hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll help us out down the stretch as we really need to continue to get big wins to get in the tournament. And finally, after this win against Tennessee, I don't think that there's a question that Florida should, at least at this point, be at least in the conversation for being in the tournament. So it's funny you mentioned the conversation, Dustin, because I don't think there was there was a conversation about the NCAA tournament before that game against Tennessee tipped off. Now, well, I'll I'll, I'll start big picture and I'll work back in in the very short history of the NCAA net rankings. Typically, if you're in the top thirty five ish or so of the net, you're safe. If you're in the top 30, you're really safe. You're all but a lock if you're in the top 30. You're outside the top 50 of the net, you're in big trouble, and you need a lot of things to go right. Florida beating Tennessee took them from 52 
in the net rankings before that game to 41 as of Thursday night. So Thursday night's games could impact that a little bit, but Florida is absolutely in that conversation right now. Now, as for where this team stands X's and O's wise, Florida is halfway through this brutal four game stretch, which we talked about at number five, K state and Keontae Johnson, number two, Tennessee at Kentucky. And then at number four, Alabama, you know, Chris, you just talked about two and two Dustin. You're now saying two and two. Also, I think if you were to ask a lot of Florida fans before this four game stretch started, but the way this team has looked for most of the year, would you take one and three in that four game stretch? I think a lot of fans would take it because with three games against top five teams and the other one, the easy game in that stretch being at Kentucky in Rupp, I think most fans thought most likely scenarios we go oh and four, but now we've got our win. We can't do any worse than one and three in that stretch. And we've got two chances in a row to pick up huge wins. Tennessee win is already front and center on that NCAA tournament resume. Now we're talking about pairing it with another win like it. And the pressure is off of us for the most part to do it because we're going to be the road team, the huge underdog. It's basically house money because we're expected to lose them both. And the way that this Florida team plays defense, Chris, to your point, is going to keep it in a lot of games. The offense is just not there right now. The the increased level of competition from Ohio to Tennessee is going to result in fewer points being scored, or even from Ohio to Texas A&M is going to result in fewer points being scored. The increased tempo this year from the mid-major Mike days to the golden days is going to result in more possessions, more bad shots, more turnovers, more frustration for the offense, which it has. And that's never fun to watch. And there are some legitimate criticisms of Todd Golden not being able to land another big man in the portal this offseason to pair with Colin Castleton. Really could have used a guy like Jonai Broom on this team, who's now at Auburn. I think if you're going to talk about things Golden needs to work on for the future, that's the biggest one. But now with this win over Tennessee and this team as it stands, Florida has proven that it can win games by locking down for 40 minutes and doing just enough on offense to win games if it can take care of the basketball. The precedent is there. We've seen the result now take place. Now can this team build off it and start building some real momentum as we head into March? Real quick, Neil, too, I one thing I want to add to you is I think if you look at the team itself, they need the one key, I think, to making the tournament down the stretch is going to be those one possession games. Right now, we're still one in four in one possession games. The lone win coming against Mississippi State on the road uh, last week or two weeks ago. Though I think as we get into the thick of the schedule, into the SEC tournament, where we may need to pick up a win or two, can this team get the big bucket in the moment? when it's going to come up. So whether that's on the road this weekend against Kentucky or down the stretch, you have a couple of road games like at Vanderbilt, at Georgia, at Arkansas. You know, can we get a win there or in the tournament too? I, I think that's going to be really the key. But uh, yeah, to your point though, I think this is a team on the ascend. And, and if they're able to maybe pick off some of those one possession games, which I do think are inevitable. And as we get into March, then that'll decide whether or not we get into the NCAA. Yeah, you talk about one possession games. The Auburn game really sticks out because that was a game that was one possession and Florida had the ball with a chance to win. It wasn't like there were some free throws here there Florida could hit. No, it came down to one possession. I thought we fed Colin Castleton a little higher than they probably should have. Play didn't work out because he wound up dribbling it off the guy's foot. But sometimes those games are just going to go your way and sometimes they just aren't. 
So I think the crazy thing too is that Florida is only one game actually behind second place in the SEC right now. Where I mean, there's a there's a, a thick of teams that are either two or three games back uh, from Alabama, and we're one of them. And I mean, who's to say if we get on a run here? Because the schedule does get a lot lighter toward the toward as we get into March. The teams that we play aren't as good. So can Florida maybe even work their way up in the seed line for the SEC tournament? That's going to really help them, I think. One get ultimately be an at-large team in the tournament, but maybe even be able to make a run in the SEC tournament if they're seeded at a higher place. Get one of those top four seeds. You know, something that th- this is one of the many things that drove me nuts about Mike White, and one of the many uh, talking points I had against him in his seven seasons at Florida. Mid-major Mike had Florida as one of those top four seeds two times. In seven seasons, only two years was Florida a top four seed and got that double bye in the SEC tournament. Getting that double bye is huge. It it gives you less of a chance to screw up against the inferior team, and it gives you more rest so that when you face the big teams, you have that much more working in your favor to get one more signature win that the tournament committee can't ignore. So just a little tidbit out there to uh, to, to close our basketball segment with. And now we got to talk about something that we've been putting off, putting off, putting off, putting off. We knew we had to discuss it. We just wanted to wait for more facts and information to present themselves and get some finality on the situation. And we've got it now with Jaden Rashada. Elephant in the room. We'll be quick with it. I'm sure that y'all listening have more or less heard enough of this topic. I've certainly heard enough of it, but... Uh, we've all been harboring some thoughts here, and it's time to put them all out in the open before we put this subject to bed forever. So, Chris, you first. What did you make of the Jaden Rashada saga, and how does Florida move on from it? You know, it's a really unfortunate situation. And and first off, I want to say it's an unfortunate situation for a young man who's coming out of high school, getting ready to play college football, and, and has a whole lot ahead of him, and, and certainly is a talented high school prospect. And I think it's unfortunate for him in the case that I think there are some people that were involved in the situation behind the scenes that did not have his best interest at heart and were doing things uh, for themselves and not for him. And ultimately, as we saw yesterday, he signed with Arizona State. He's a top 100 player. He's a top 50 player in some recruiting outlets. I think a lot of us, no disrespect to Arizona State, believe a player of that caliber should end up at a school much better than Arizona State. So I think it was very telling that that is ultimately how his recruitment played out. And I think that's in due because he was not, he was poorly advised by certain people involved in the situation. That not only didn't have his best interest at heart, didn't have the University of Florida's best interest at heart. And that's just the unfortunate thing right now in the NIL era that hopefully is remedied in some form or fashion, whether that is legislation or a market correction. But, you know, as it pertains to how we move on from here, I think, you know, Florida is going to have, he's already moving on. If you listen to Billy Napier's press conference yesterday, he, he, you know, he couldn't be more complimentary of the character of Jaden Rashada, said some great things about him, but is a man that was very obviously ready to move on and look for the future. He's excited about the evaluation of Graham Mertz and what he potentially could bring to the football program. I think every Gator fan who, you know, is out there may not be as high on Graham Mertz, but certainly we hope that he exceeds those expectations. And I think that's going to have a big part in the progress that we all hope Billy Napier has in his second season. He also mentioned that he might be looking at a transfer quarterback or or something. Uh, It's good to have four scholarship quarterbacks. So 
I think Florida will come, move on. We will be fine long term. This could potentially come up and hurt us if we have depth issues at the position next season or maybe even this season if we don't get a fourth quarterback. But I think long term, this is something that we could recover from as long as the university is organized and, and NIL and focused on what its goals and objectives are. And for the most part, have been, might I add. I know the Gator Collective was much maligned for over a week. And as we've seen now, the facts come out that they it is not the case. The Gator Collective was in big part the reason why Jaden Rashada almost stayed at the University of Florida. He's the reason why he actually signed his letter of intent back in December. And he they are not the reason why he is not at the University of Florida tonight. Gator Collective, as we've seen in recent days, has already re-upped many of our best players, including Ricky Pearsall, Desmond Watson, Keon Zipperer, and I'm sure more deals are on the way. They've also been a big part of the transfer portal prospects that we've gotten, like Micah Mazuka, who, by the way, is a plug for the event next weekend for the basketball team. You have a chance to ask him the impact the Gator Collective has made on him. And if you don't believe him, how about Anthony Richardson, a future first-round draft pick at the University of Florida, one of the biggest NIL prospects uh, that is, may ever set foot on campus with a Gator Collective athlete and had glowing things to say about its leaders as an organization and what they did for him. So it's very obvious this is a one-off situation, and it's very obvious as the facts have come out, the Gator Collective was not to blame for this. Fortunately, it was people and entities outside of the university that didn't have its best interest at heart, who were Jaden Rashadas. I mean, I pretty much back all of that, starting with it's a terrible situation. Nobody wins. There there are no winners. Nobody comes out of this better from having been a part of this mess. There will be lessons learned. Florida will learn a lot of lessons, and I guarantee you that Gator Collective has learned some lessons from this. Uh, but Gator Collective, contrary to what a lot of people online have wanted to make be the case, was not the driving force that separated these two parties in Rashada and Florida. I know everybody wants a scapegoat. That's the world we live in. And I do understand that the bombshell of this was so devastating that it felt like in order for us all to heal and move on before the wound became a scar, that this had to be blamed on somebody. I get the instinct. I, I really do. But it's not on Florida. It's not on Billy Napier. It's not on Jaden and Rashada. And it's not on Gator Collective. It is not on any of those entities that this pairing did not ultimately come to be. There, I mean, there are just some things in life that are are factual, that are not up for interpretation or debate or an individual's opinion. And putting the blame for this on Gator Collective is one of those things that is just not factually accurate. Gator Collective actually had been trying to fix the issue, as Chris alluded to, for a lot longer than the whole incident was even publicly known. And, oh, by the way, everyone blaming the collective, just an FYI, that Gator Collective is not meant to be 
a war chest of sorts. If you want a war chest, start talking to the multimillionaire UF alumni. That's a different discussion for a different day. We'll have that discussion on a different day. NIL is, is here to stay. Get used to it or get used to mediocrity. We'll all hash that out another time. But for this conversation today, for Gator Collective, what it does is, and Chris alluded to this too, it sets up public appearances for athletes to hang out with fans or sets up opportunities for them to be interviewed on podcasts and radio shows, including this one. We had Jadarius Perkins on our show last year. We had Lorenzo Lingard on our show last year. We had Cameron Jackson on our show last month. That is what Gator Collective does. It helps Fans be able to consume more content about them, be that content interviews or be that content shaking their hands and getting pictures and autographs with them. In fact, next weekend before Florida basketball plays Vandy, Gator Collective is hosting an event with a lot of football players. Tickets are just 20 bucks and that money goes to the players so that they can hang out with and talk to fans, take pictures, sign autographs, strike up conversations, etc. Shamar James, Keon Zipperer, Ricky Pearsall, Kamari Wilson, Trevor Etienne, Desmond Watson, all going to be there and a lot more so that you as fans can meet them and talk to them, take pictures, get autographs and so on. Micah Mascua will be there. You want to learn about why he came to Florida with offers from so many other big time schools in the portal? Buy a ticket to the event, 20 bucks, go up to him, introduce yourself and ask him. Not, you know, not trolling, not being rhetorical here dead serious genuine open invitation for anyone who has any doubts about what gator collective was formed for to go to this tailgater event next saturday at noon just before gator basketball plays vandy and ask him ask any of them because that was what collective was founded for the only reason it was even involved here at all in this rashada situation was because one of our super donors was willing to pay rashada a good deal of that $13 million. and Gator Collective wanted to get Jaden Rashada involved in the Gator community more. That's what Collective does. So I'm repeating myself because I'm so infuriated. I've had enough of this narrative that Gator Collective was somehow the force that drove these parties apart. That's just engaging in discourse that is very intellectually dishonest and Really, if you call yourself a Gator fan and you say that, it's contrary to your own best interests. And I'm not going to sit here and act like Gator Collective has been run flawlessly since its inception. Of course it hasn't. It is a new entity. All of this is new. NIL is only a year and a half old. There were always going to be less than perfect things that happen. But whatever you may think about this move or that move or the CEO of Gator Collective doing this or doing that, whatever... Gator Collective is a critical tool for Florida's success. And if you're unhappy with anything that it's been doing, you, as well as other Gator fans everywhere, are all better served by joining forces with it and helping. Because something like 60% of Florida's football roster in 2022 had deals with Gator Collective. Chris, maybe you can help me on the exact number. I can't recall the exact number, but it was, it was more than half, including Anthony Richardson and Ricky Pearsall. And there have been something like 200 athletes across all sports to sign deals with Gator Collective so far, including, by the way, the guy that just guided Florida to a win over number two Tennessee in basketball. The only reason Colin Castleton is back this year is because Gator Collective gave him a really nice NIL deal. Without that, he's gone, and that win over the Vols probably doesn't happen. 
So clearly, if Gator Collective was really this incompetent, terrible entity that so many fans want to paint it as because it's just convenient to do so, this would not be the case. So look, if, if you're pissed, if you're annoyed, I promise you, I promise you that I understand why. But Gator Collective is not where the anger needs to be directed. As for Jaden Rashada, yeah, losing him does hurt. There's there's no two ways about it. It's true that there was always a path to him never taking a snap at Florida. If he wasn't ready as a true freshman, Graham Mertz would have been the guy. And then DJ Lagway comes in 2024, absolutely balls out. Rashada's left at the short end of the stick and transfers. That was always possible, but this kid could play. He does have some skill, and it's just unfortunate for both sides that it didn't work out. Yeah, Neil, Chris, I echo what both of y'all said. I have three things to say. First off, as a proud Gator Collective member, I'm excited about the future of Gator Collective. I'm excited about the role that it's already played in many of the recruits' opportunities and uh, and, and financial gain. I'm also excited about what it's doing uh, for the present players. And I really want to emphasize that the Gator Collective uh, does what NIL really should be doing, and that is benefiting the players that are making an impact on Gator athletics. And I and I say it like that because it's not just a football thing. It's a basketball thing. I mean, look at Colin Castleton and the role that he's had on this Florida team. I mean, I mean it's it's amazing to see the accomplishments of the Gator Collective. And I know it's a difficult and unfortunate situation. And my heart certainly does go out to Jaden Rashada. I don't want to obviously get into the nitty-gritty of it. But my heart goes out to him. He's a guy who enjoyed his time visiting the University of Florida. He's a guy who signed with the University of Florida. He's a guy that I was excited about. But ultimately, fate did not have it for him for it to work out for him, and that's okay. On 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 my side, I, I we have to look forward. As a as a former quarterback, I'm always about the evaluation and I'm always about uh the guys that are in the room. And we do have a new guy in the room, and that is, of course, uh, Mertz. I'm excited about Mertz. I know he's had kind of a shaky uh, career so far with Wisconsin, but that system is horrible. Everybody knows that Wisconsin has an antiquated form of of offense. I mean, we look back to um, what LSU was before uh, – if not mistake, I believe the guy's name is Joe Brady came in to uh, overhaul that offense when um, when uh, LSU won the national championship. We all know what happened with that. I'm not saying the Florida is gonna. I'm not saying the Florida Napier is gonna be the next Joe Brady and the next national championship team next year with Mertz. But we all see what happened uh, with that team, and and I certainly expect Mertz to play well. I don't think he's going to play as horrible as he played um, for Wisconsin. I think he's going to be excellent, and I and I look forward to over this offseason breaking him down, and certainly as we get closer to the spring game and then even post-spring game, you know that I'll be coming back in the pod, and I'll be breaking down every play. Uh, I'll be breaking down what happens in that spring game. So I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. And Gator Nation, I, I say this. I just want to say this one final thing. The perspective that I have, I can't, I can't obligate y'all to have this, the perspective I have because it's a free country. You're entitled to your opinion, but in life, there's things that you can't control and there's things that you can control. And on this show, 
We keep it respectful and we keep it real. And the one thing that I'm going to say is what can we control, Gator Nation? We can control two things. We can control our undying support for this team, this staff. Billy Napier is the right guy for the job. He's doing an excellent job. We support the team. But guess what? Another thing we can do is we can contribute. The only way the NIL is going to get better, the only way the Gator Collective is going to get better is if you put your money where your mouth is. Am I happy about everything? No, it doesn't matter. I care about the Gators, so I give to the Gators, and that's what I'm doing with Gator Collective. So that's my speech. Uh, I'm going to get off my uh, my uh, soapbox and uh, hand it back off to Neil and Chris. So, but it's not uh, a soapbox, Dustin. That, that's the thing. Like I'm John Ruiz, for some reason, the Miami Mega donor somehow has this idea that I run Gator Collective, or at least he talks to me like he thinks that. And if, apparently he's not alone. I don't run Gator Collective. I'm not the CEO. I'm not the COO. I'm not on their executive board. I'm not beholden to them. They're not paying me to say anything whatsoever for or against them. I'm just sitting here and seeing with my own two eyes the impact that it's had on so many Gator athletes and so many different sports. So this is not a paid advertisement for Gator Collective. This is just me saying, look, go to an event. It's it's $20. And for that $20, you get to hang out with 12 or 15 or so Gator football players for a couple hours. There are a lot worse ways to spend 20 bucks. Spend a couple hours on the rooftop bar with those Gator players and just talk to them and just look around and just see what it does for the Gators. So anyway, um, enough about that. We're going to move on and talk about the program with the guys that we do have. Guys, uh, the roster is pretty much set, I think. It's always possible that a player or two may transfer into or out of the program after spring ball. That uh, that does seem to happen quite a bit at, in big programs where guys aren't getting the playing time they expected or not in the pecking order that they thought they'd be in. But for the most part, this roster is set for 2023. So, with that said, guys, what do we make of the roster that we appear to have? You know, I I, uh, I think it's a good roster as far as, you know, guys that Billy Napier wants to help build his culture and continue to build upon a foundation that he's laying for the program. You, you look up, let's start with high school. We, we, we got 20 guys uh, of the high school ranks, 18 of them are four stars. That's an impeccable, impeccable uh blue chip rate, right? We, unfortunately, though, I think lack some of the higher end players in that. But I think long term, these are guys that are going to pan out pretty well. You look at the transfers that we brought in, I think we brought in some transfers that are plug and play. At the very least, they're role players that are going to contribute next year, almost every single one of them. So I do think this is an improved roster in the sense of buy-in, of culture, of understanding what the expectations are of Billy Napier. And it could yield more wins next year because of that. I, you know, sometimes when a locker room doesn't have the right uh, players with the right mindset, it can poison the well. And ultimately, you don't win games you should, a la a Vanderbilt, right? A Vanderbilt or a Kentucky you know, that is the difference between a, a year last year where many believe it was a failure, like we've said on this podcast, and a year where we could have been 8-4 and, 
in a better bowl game and had a lot more to play for in December than where we ended up. So I do actually think this is a roster that is capable of winning eight, nine games next year. I'll go on record and say that right now. That's contingent upon how well Graham Mertz plays. If he is indeed the starting quarterback next year, we don't bring in another transfer. But I do think it's a roster that has talent, that is going to get a ton of experience. And the one thing that I'll also mention is a roster that is built upon very young players. So these guys that are in the coming into the program, both high school transfers, a majority of those transfers that we took outside of Taraja Mitchell, every single one of them could play at least two years in the program other than Mitchell. So we're also building a roster that is going to be able to cycle in, you know, continue to cycle in fresh blood of higher talented. It allows the staff to be more picky in evaluations next year, knowing that they are brought in now two solid high school recruiting classes of guys they like, two transfer portal classes that they really like, and they more than likely will be here another year into 2024. So then as you've seen now, we're starting 2024 with great athletes like DJ Lagway, like Miles Graham, Ardarius Hayes, Chauncey Bowens. Then that's when the roster, I think, really takes the next step. So I think this is a good roster that's a bridge to where we want to be. But ultimately, I think it's an 8-9 win roster. I'm excited about all the transfers that we picked up. I'm especially excited about how the, the transfers we picked up on the offensive line. Look no further than the Kentucky transfer in Goodwin. What an excellent opportunity to increase the size on the offensive line. And Neil, you know how much and how passionate I am about the big uglies up front, as they call them. Um, so I echo what 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 Chris just said, and I'm just looking forward to seeing how this team kind of comes together in spring. And I know that, obviously, I talked a little bit about Mertz. I, I expect him to, to play well. Um, but really, I know that we obviously had – quite a few episodes where we talked about some of the high school guys that have come in, but I really look forward to seeing uh, Eugene Wilson uh, play. He's a guy that is going to do an exceptional job as a Gator, and he's a guy that certainly rose up in the ranks even over the last month. Uh, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I believe according to On3, he's actually an On3 five-star, and that's a huge deal. So some would say we – lost a five-star well hey we didn't lose a five-star we did lose a five-star but we gained a five-star uh in that loss so that's super exciting um because i echo what what y'all have already said i'm i'm gonna leave it at that so yeah it's, it's uh it's gonna be an interesting spring and i'll i'll, I'll uh i'll give you that much i love the fact that we went and just absolutely loaded up in the trenches I mean, we're, we're going to talk, I'm sure, all spring and all summer long about what Graham Merch looked like at Wisconsin. The fact is that offense, as you talked about, I think both of you talked about, is is antiquated. It's great for running backs because they can just run behind the offensive line. I mean, it's not exactly the most quarterback-friendly system. And I'm not saying Florida is especially quarterback-friendly. It's not as QB-friendly as maybe Dan Mullins was, especially for a dual threat guy like Anthony Richardson. But I think it's more friendly 
especially when you've got receivers like Ricky Pearsall and Aiden Mizell, who I do believe will come in and be explosive right away, along with Eugene Wilson and Andy Jean. Look for all three of those guys to be integral parts of this offense right away. But I think that combined with the pieces that Mertz will have at wide receiver with the the fact that the offense can rely on the QB throwing the ball around and doesn't just leave him hung up to dry there in the pocket, I think will result in him looking better than he looked at Wisconsin. I'm not saying he'll be a Heisman finalist. I highly doubt that he will be. But I think he can be a competent SEC-level quarterback for Florida. And the offensive line is a big part of that, too. I mean, guys like Damian George, Micah Miskua, uh, Keontae Goodwin on the offensive line. We got Caden Jones. We also added him at the 11th hour of the class uh, from the high school ranks. Florida's got the pieces up front, even without Cameron Waits, who terrible situation there with him tearing his Achilles. But even without him, Florida has a lot of beef up there that can be counted on to provide some real protection for Graham Mertz. And then you talk about the defensive line. Florida got some nice pieces there. I and mean, they added Caleb Banks and Cameron Jackson through the portal. They got some linebacker help, not on the defensive line, but that's still you know, front seven. They can apply some pressure to definitely plug up some holes in the running game with Roger Mitchell and do Spurlock. So Florida's, I mean, we, we all know that Napier puts all the emphasis on the trenches. And I think Florida's at a point now where you cannot point to either sides of the line of scrimmage and say, yeah, that's a weakness. That's going to lose Florida the game. The way the defensive line kind of was last year. We can't say, oh, Florida's screwed. They have no defensive line, aside from Dexter. Oh, Florida's in trouble. Oh, oh well, no Brandon Cox, no Dexter. Oh, they're screwed. No, that's not the case anymore. Florida's offensive line, I think, is going to be a strength, even with all we lost last year. And I think the defensive line is going to be, at the very least, a non-weakness. Maybe it'll be a strength. Maybe it'll just be that neutral ground between the two. But ne- no longer will either of those be holding Florida back. Yeah, I mean, I'm just really excited for for the spring, like Dustin mentioned. You know, I I, I think if you, it is interesting though. I, if you listen to, I, if you haven't listened to Billy Napier's press conference yesterday, I would go back and listen, especially for the middle to tail end of it. Because he was asked about the the quarterback position and and just the roster in general, it, it does sound like, you know, we've been keeping track of it. You know, if you add Adam Mahalik's scholarship, we're up to eighty four now, which means we'd have technically only one left. It does look like he is in, he is implying that they're going to take more transfers potentially after spring. So that is something to definitely look out for, and I'm curious to to see who enters the portal. After the spring, that's when we got Ricky Pearsall last year. Many believe, I think, you know, was a big addition. And I, I'm not sure we get to bowl eligibility without Ricky Pearsall. So, I, you know, I, I would look for, for some guys maybe who don't win the starting job in the spring or realize they're not going to get it, but come to Florida and be that guy, whether it is the quarterback position, whether it is in another receiver opposite Ricky Pearsall. We'll see whatever that is, but I look for for some movement in the transfer, and I don't think this roster is done of attrition or taking in here. Chris, I like that you mentioned the press conference with Coach Billy Napier. Somebody that he mentioned that all of us should be incredibly familiar with, especially the guys who are on this podcast right now, Cameron Jackson. He's a guy that Billy Napier mentioned by name, a guy who's already showed up and shown out in uh, the early stages of foundations. It's what Napier calls this uh, this time in the 
uh, development program in the in the weight room and and the the athletic training to prepare for spring camp in in uh, a little over a month. So, what's exciting about Cameron Jackson is not only is he showing himself out as an athlete, a freak athlete for his size, six six, around two hundred and seventy pounds, but the thing that really captured my attention is when he mentioned his leadership ability and we all were mesmerized and captivated by his personality you know one of the best uh one of the best podcasts that i've been a part of um that i can remember with a guest and that goes with even some of the journalists we've had on very excited about him i think he's gonna play a huge role on this team and i look for him to fight for a starting spot on that defensive line. And the last thing I'll say is this. He's very versatile. He's a guy that that you can line up on the edge, but he's also a guy that you can bring in all the way um, in at nose, depending on the situation. So I'm excited to see how our defensive staff is creative with that guy. And it should be, a, like I said before in my, in my previous uh, discussion on this pod, it should be an exciting spring. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'll obviously root for every single Gator, but I'm rooting for Cameron Jackson a little bit harder after after that conversation with him. If you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to go back and do so. Only a couple pods ago, we had him on uh, mid-January, talked about his journey from growing up an LSU fan to almost signing with LSU to not signing with LSU, going to Memphis. And now he gets his redemption in terms of filling out in terms of fulfilling his dream of playing SEC football. So definitely recommend you listening to that and getting to know him a little bit better. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's just a lot to be excited about with him as a ball player too. I think that his versatility does give Florida uh, something of a Swiss army knife with him. I mean, it's not, I, I don't expect him to come in and have the sort of impact that maybe a Jervon Dexter had, but I think he can be a very good SEC football player for sure. Definitely someone who can create problems because of the different places he can line up and produce at. So definitely looking forward to seeing what he can do, not just because of his personal story, which obviously does give me great motivation to root for him, but also because of what I think he can do as a player. So I think the best way to put this, this podcast to bed, because we this is the one we talked about Jaden Rashada in, I think the best way to put this podcast to rest and the subject of Rashada to rest is by reading something that a – Listener of ours tweeted at us uh, a couple weeks ago from at KDLH92 on Twitter. It's over, move on. And then the key here look forward, not behind. Gators will be A OK. Stay focused on the prize. Look forward, not behind is, I think, Billy Napier's entire mantra right now. I think that he and the entire Florida staff knows that something terrible happened, but you can't dwell on it. It happened. It's over. You can't undo it. You just got to move forward with what you've got. And I think that Florida does have a roster that, as Chris said, is capable of certainly improving on last year's six wins, if not being, I don't, I don't want to make predictions now, but I think that Florida could be a team that causes a lot of, a lot of problems. And I think that's the goal. Now that's all you can do. We've got the roster we've got, let's put the ball down in spring and let's go. I think they're a team that's going to definitely could surprise people, sneak up on some people, because I think there's just this sort of mindset now, both from the fan base and now it's 
trickled into the ethos of college football that Florida is just not going to be a good football team next year. They're going to be another six-win team. And, and, you know, that that very well may be the case. But I also think with that kind of mindset that they could surprise some people, it's going to be a very difficult opening game. But, you know, you look at the schedule after that, go before Georgia, a lot of winnable games on there. And I, I even think we could beat Tennessee at home next year. I definitely expect us to beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky. We have to beat those teams if we're going to take that next step to that 8-9 win threshold, right? So those are games we have to have. South Carolina is another one we beat. Them. We throttled them at home this past year. We need to beat them again this year. This yeah, time but that was an anomaly, Chris. I think we both realized that was not the norm. If those teams play 10 times, that, that result does not happen again. Maybe yeah, I mean, maybe Florida six. wins. Maybe Florida wins yeah. another game or two. They do not. But, I don't think Florida wins five out of ten. They certainly none, don't win another game by thirty points. But nonetheless, our talent better than South Carolina still. I still think Florida. If we were to put the line the teams up on paper right now in the SEC East, I think Florida. You could argue has the second or third best roster talent wise. I mean, we out. I mean, depending on the outlet you look at, we had a better recruiting class than Tennessee this cycle. Tennessee loses Hendon Hooker. They bring in uh, Joe uh, is it, um, Milton. Milton. Joe Milton. I almost said Mixon. Milton. Joe Milton is the quarterback next year. Played a great Orange Bowl. Give him full credit on that. But you know he's definitely a guy that's taken a while to develop, and we don't know what he'll be like after a full season of play. So I, I think you could argue Florida in the East is the second best team on paper, talent wise. As they stack up with the rest of the SEC, they're probably closer to the middle of the pack. But that's we don't play every team in the SEC, so we need to look at. I think if we can have a goal of winning four to five games out of our Eastern opponents, you know, I think that 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 it bodes well for us because you know our non-conference schedule outside of Florida State, even Florida State's at home, is Charlotte and McNeese State, and then you have Utah, but. Those two, those two teams, those two games are very winnable. So I think getting to eight nine wins next year is possible, but uh, it, it it will take that mindset to, to get there. I'll yeah, just sort of uh, echoing what Chris had said. I'm going to say two things. First off, I'll, I always like to look at where our transfers out end up, and for the most part, a lot of these players. They're going to the pits of the world, the South Florida's of the world, Cincinnati, California, Missouri. There's a common theme with a lot of these teams. Now, um, before getting into that, I really I, I want to stop and say that I wish all of the Gators that transferred out, I wish them all the best, especially our boy Dwan Black. Very unfortunate situation for him. Wish him all the best at his next stop. And I will always be a Dwan Black fan. And I know the rest of the guys in this pod echo that. But for the most part, a lot of these guys did not upgrade in their transfer destination. Ethan White and Michael Tarquin went to USC, which arguably is an upgrade um, based on how well USC did, did this past season. But I would argue that going to a Pac-12 team is not the same as going to an SEC team. So there's an argument on both sides for that. But, but by and large, a lot of these transfers are not going to big-time schools. Now, I'm not saying that this to bash them. All I'm saying is that the pool of talent that left the team, there's a reason why 
they left the team. Lots of reasons why they left the team. And I think one of those reasons why is Billy Napier needed to completely flip this roster. And based on the guys you have coming in, based on the recruits, the athletes, and I emphasize athletes that you have coming in, a lot of these players that are three and low four-star, yeah, they're three and low four-star. Well, actually, mostly low four-star. We didn't really get a lot of three-stars. Blue Chip Billy got it done. Um, a lot of these guys, you look at a guy like Andy Jean, for crying out loud. This guy is – is, and it's weird to be saying this as the, 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 the resident Christian on the podcast, but his athleticism is borderline demonic. I mean this dude is crazy. His tape is crazy. Andy Jean is going to turn some heads. I don't care what his star ranking is. I don't care what the scouts say. When you turn on his tape, the guy is an athlete. The guy's insane. You guys, Andy G, we already talked about Eugene Wilson. Okay, we already talked about Jakeem Jackson. These guys are insane. Okay. The last thing I want to say is this. Billy and, and Billy we trust. Billy Napier is going to get the job done. And my faith is in him. Um, I echo every word that Chris said. I, I think this team has has a, an outside shot at a 10-win at a season. It's going to be difficult. But if I had to pick right now, I think it would be an 8- or 9-win season. What does it come down to? It comes down to this. It comes down to Graham Mertz. Is Graham Mertz a serviceable quarterback? If he's serviceable, I think this is an 8-9 win team. But if Graham Mertz can show out and show up in the way that we saw him with his high school tape and had some flashes at Wisconsin, regardless of how horrid that offense was, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Wisconsin had a different offensive coordinator every year that he was there. I mean, I, I think that speaks for itself, right? If Graham Mertz is better than serviceable i think we could definitely turn a lot of heads well i mean you guys both talked about the, the talent pool and i think this is the perfect place to end the show dustin you talked about where guys who transferred out were winding up i think it's very very telling that the best players on the 2022 team aside from ventral miller aside from ethan white I guess AR by default, and maybe Justin Shorter, the best players on the 2022 team were Napier-picked guys. And you're going to hear this talking point a lot this offseason. The best players on the 2022 Gator football team were either Napier's transfers, Montreal Johnson, Osiris Torrance, Ricky Pearsall, or they were true freshmen like Trevor Etienne, Shamar James, Kamari Wilson, Devin Moore, etc., and that team last year was mostly Mullen guys. The Napier guys were the minority. The true freshmen and the transfers were the minority. There were some that got good playing time. I mean, Chris McClellan, another true freshman I forgot to mention. A lot of that team was Mullen guys. And I guess Miller was neither. Miller was a Jim McElwain guy of all, of all people. But now that part has flipped. Talk about flipping the roster the percentage of which is made up of Napier guys has been flipped from the minority to the majority. Now it's the Mullen guys who are in the minority. Most of this team next year will be Billy Napier handpicked guys. So I'm not knocking the Mullen guys. I wish them all the best, as Dustin just said, but we see what happens when Napier is able to coach his guys at Florida. 
And now there are going to be a lot more of them in 2023 than there were in 2022. So that does give me legitimately good vibes about 2023. Now, Florida cannot go and lose to Vanderbilt again. They cannot lose to Kentucky again. They cannot lose to, I mean, I would say that Florida cannot lose to Missouri. They almost lost that one. You can't have those inexplicable losses. You, you, by the way, cannot be in a dogfight with McNeese or Charlotte the way we were against USF last year. So there's going to need to be some things we see on the field that are night and day different for me to have faith in Billy Napier after this upcoming season. But I'm saying right now, before the 2023 season, that there is real reason to believe that that stuff is going to cease. And guys, if we're right, about that gator football could be a lot of fun in the ensuing years and that's something that i think we can all look forward to i think that's going to do it for this episode of the in all kinds of weather forecast if you enjoyed listening to our show please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on apple podcast definitely would appreciate that got some more pods coming in the not too distant future uh, as I, I alluded to uh, on the last pod we did, I just moved. So I moved several states, actually, from New Jersey down to South Carolina. So a lot of moving pieces with that have kind of pushed the pod back a few weeks and still quite a few things got to take care of in the near future with that. But I think once I'm settled in, we'll start start getting some more pods out once a week or so and looking forward to get back on a regular schedule and looking forward to hopefully talking about some NCAA tournament magic for this gator basketball team as well as good times with gator spring sports baseball and softball teams as well as gator football's spring season so always got some stuff to talk about and look forward to being back with y'all soon doing just that well hey real quick the gator basketball team oh we just beat tennessee ducked that's off right tennessee. okay yep. i gotta do it guys i've been waiting to do it you ready i don't think y'all are ready you know, it feels good to be excited about Gator basketball again, guys. It, it really, it, it feels good to be able to care about your basketball team that much, to be that invested in it, because that was just gone with mid-major Mike the last couple of years. So it feels good. It feels good. Agreed. I can't wait for uh, Saturday night's game. Looking forward to it.